0: Welcome to the Draft Deeper podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. As always, joining me is my producer, Kevin Black. Kevin, how are we doing tonight?
1: Doing great. Another day.
0: Another day is right. And for the first time, certainly not the last, we have Brett Usher from Pod Strickland here with us as well. Brett, I know you're a knowledgeable NBA podcaster and writer of profiles in our Ringer NBA Facebook group, so I wanted to have you on the show, go through some of the things we can expect from the playoffs in the bubble. How you doing?
2: I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on. Um,
0: no problem. <laughs> we got to support each other, right?
2: Oh, absolutely, man. Yeah, absolutely. You'll have to have to jump on our thing at some point, too, man. That would be great. And uh, no, I'm just uh, just enjoying the playoffs, man. It's, they're here and I couldn't be more excited. I mean, I think uh, because of just the all the uncertainty surrounding the NBA's return and, you know, the span of time over which it stretched. I think it makes me uh, appreciate all this a little bit more. And I think in saying that, I can probably speak for most NBA fans. So, yeah, man, I'm just savoring it and uh, absorbing it and and loving it.
0: Well, so it's it's funny you say that because I would tend to agree. And we're recording this, by the way, um, on Monday night around 730 Eastern time. Funny you mention that because we got other than the ESPN comment today where they had the joke that some of that uh, Denver Utah game was looking like LA fitness at three in the afternoon. <laughs> I, I think it's safe to say that we've had some pretty intense, meaningful and overall incredible basketball to watch. So if you're if you're a fan of the sport, period, no matter what leg, whether it's college, whether you're in another country and, and you're kind of tuning into the NBA because there's really not a lot going on at this point in time. I think either way, you got something to watch. So this is about as good as it gets for a basketball fan. So first thing i kind of like to do, we'll certainly get into some of the games that were going on earlier today, later in the podcast here. But I want to jump in and talk about the Portland Trailblazers. As I know, Brad, Damian Lowe is one of your favorite guys, and you follow the team heavily. They, they pretty much did what they were supposed to do, being Memphis in the play-in game, taking over in the fourth quarter. But it wasn't just Dane that hit all the big shots. I mean, CJ had a spectacular performance down the stretch. He finished with 29 points on 11 and 19 shooting from the floor. I mean, obviously, Lou is the driving force, and he'll have to pretty much be the will behind any playoff success for the team. But uh, we'll come back to him in a second. But when you look at the team overall, who else do you see being a factor against the powerhouse L.A. Lakers now that we know that that's going to be the matchup in the 1-8 spot?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, I do think CJ and Damien represent an area of clear advantage for Portland, uh, especially considering the depleted nature of the Lakers guard rotation. But a less obvious player who could potentially have a big impact in this series, I think, is Zach Collins. Um, obviously, LeBron and AD are concerns number one and two. How does Portland guard them, uh, especially LeBron, because Portland is extremely shorthanded on the wing with Trevor Ariza sitting out the bubble and Rodney Hood out for the season. Uh, both of those guys are 6'8". Hood is a solid defender. is a plus defender. So they're really missing both of those dudes and especially Ariza. Um, look, Gary Trent's more of a two guard, but he's been forced to play a lot of forward. And obviously that can work in spots, but I think he's too small to guard LeBron. Although I'm sure they'll give that a look. And then does Melo's size and experience make up for his glaring defensive deficiencies? Maybe to some degree, but I'm not exactly confident in Mello being able to cover LeBron. I'd imagine that's how they'll start the game. But I think Coach Stotts would be wise to throw Zach Collins on LeBron at some point and see what happens. Mm. Yeah, he's got great length, fairly quick feet, an elite motor, improving defensive instincts. Obviously he would have to play off him on the perimeter, but I think he could at least bother him with his length. Uh, but more importantly, I think Collins is fairly well equipped at least in terms of his physical tools to cover AD. And, you know, make no mistake, AD and Braun are both going to get theirs probably in a big way. But I could see Collins emerging because of his relative versatility as Portland's most valuable defensive player in this series. He hasn't looked great so far in the bubble. He's only averaged about six points and seven rebounds. But you have to remember that he missed virtually all of the pre-hiatus season. And I think we've definitely seen some rust. He's missed some bunnies, committed some silly fouls, and just looked a little out of sync in general. This should have been a big year for Zach. With Nurk being out, they were counting on Zach to step up and really anchor their front court. And I think he was up to the task. So it's really a shame that he got hurt. Uh, I think if he had a full third season behind him, we'd be looking at a more confident, more decisive, sharper player. Uh, Maybe we'll see that in the playoffs. He's obviously going to have his hands full. But I think if Portland wants to have any chance of making this series competitive, they're going to need Zach to be much better than he's been in these last nine games. Um, And honestly, I think at least to some degree, he will be.
0: I'm so glad that you mentioned Zach Collins because he does not get near the amount of love that he should. And that's, I mean, we're, this is obviously like a draft centric podcast. Certainly I'm going to cover the restart in full because that's, that's kind of the current event. That's the hot topic of what's going on right now. And it's also important to talk about the professional game as much as possible, because at the end of the day, these young guys are building their careers and their roles, and they want to emulate what's going on in the NBA because that's, that's their job. That's, that's the end goal. And coming into the draft, his draft class, I actually had Collins fifth on my board in that draft, and it wasn't because of his offensive game. That was kind of what was getting buzz. Um, you'd have scouts that would travel to a bunch of Gonzaga games and, and kind of watch him both in practices, and then ultimately what he was able to do in those games. And even on the, the stage of the NCAA tournament, I had him that high because of his defense. He was a ferocious rim protector in college, and you, you might see him as this really tall, skinny, lanky white guy uh, try, trying to absolutely bring everything that he can to the defensive end, and you, you might think that he'd get pushed around, but he, he does not get pushed around at all. He has that wiry strength. He's competitive on the interior, and, and I agree with you about not only being able to potentially switch on on LeBron having it, uh, having him who can give him another look but certainly in the matchup with Anthony Davis I mean it, I, I know Anthony Davis is an accomplished player in his own right and and he's certainly a, a big bruising body himself but you do have to give effort and you have to compete you have to out-compete against Zach Collins so I I, I really am glad that you brought his name up because I think he can certainly be an x-factor but one guy I, I definitely want to hit on here is gary trent jr another guy who um in doing the the whole scouting thing i've certainly able to to watch him enough in college at duke and rank him i actually had him as a lottery talent coming out of college i know the the trailblazers were able to sneak him in the second round and kind of plug him into their rotation now as more of a developed player but i mean inside of the bubble he's been averaging nearly 17 points per game on a scorching hot 51 percent from three I mean, his inside-the-art pull-up numbers have to be off the charts as well. Every single time I see him take a one triple pull-up to shake this guy, it seems like that's been one of the big ways he's accumulated points here. Um, He's just also a heads-up guard who knows when to backdoor guys and get open for easy looks. Is he an isolation shot creator? No, but on this team, I mean, you and I know he doesn't have to be. They they certainly have plenty of offense between the two guards and Melo. um, Nurkic pouring in points in the post. Um, And I go back to Trent's numbers in college. They weren't pedestrian, the difference being he's a much more efficient um, scorer on twos in the NBA um, versus sitting around 41%. I believe he was at a Duke, but the outside numbers, the free throw shooting have been there. He's competitive defensively. Um, was one of those energetic character guys. You kind of just want to have to go to war with you in a big game. Um, like I mentioned, I had him great as a lottery talent for the majority of that college season. I mean, even scouting him in person, getting to see him interact with the team. He, he always looked like he got along with everyone remarkably well and knew how to go to work and contribute at a high level. And I've pretty much seen the same thing here in Portland, especially in the bubble. So, I mean, Brett, when you look at Trent Jr., what has stood out to you the most and what do you see for his career in Portland moving forward even after the bubble?
2: Man, what's not to love about Gary Trent Jr. right now? (laughs) (laughs) He's been great. I I think he's a great example of a guy who knows his role, owns his role, and is now thriving in that role. Uh, I think above all else, he, he doesn't try to do too much, and that's great. Like, I saw him play a couple times in person last summer in Las Vegas at Summer League, and I think he scored over 30 points both of the games I saw. He was fantastic, but he was doing a lot more in terms of creation. Um, he was shooting off the dribble. He was driving the lane, taking some really tough shots. But, of course, against the Summer League competition, he was killing it, pretty much doing what he wanted. Um, he put up great numbers there, but I didn't see it translating to the NBA game, at least not for this season. And that's just because a lot of the stuff he was doing wouldn't work against legit NBA defenders. Like um, like you mentioned, shot creation is not one of his strengths. And he's probably a little below average athletically for an NBA wing. But the good thing is he hasn't tried to do those kinds of things against NBA defenders. Um, instead, he's developed into an above average defensive player himself. And he's embraced his greatest strength as he's taken on the role of knockdown three-point shooter. And he really is a fantastic shooter. His mechanics are smooth, quick, efficient, and repeatable. He wastes no movement. He's remarkably consistent in his form. I might even say that he's got a perfect jump shot. And, like, I wouldn't say that about very many guys, but his jump shots about as good as it gets in terms of his mechanics. It's, it's beautiful. And I realize his 51% shooting on threes in the bubble isn't entirely sustainable, but it's also not a fluke uh, because he's right around 42% on the season. Uh, I would say if he were like two inches taller and maybe a little bit quicker, he'd be the prototypical modern three and D wing. But even as he is, I think he could develop into a clay Thompson light kind of player um, his defense has been really encouraging. Like I said, he's not the quickest guy, but he's really strong. And in the NBA, to me, strength is becoming more important than quickness when it comes to defense, namely on the perimeter. You see it in guys like OG Ananobi and Kawhi Leonard. And th- those guys, you know, they move their feet well, but but strength is their greatest asset, I think. And that could be said for a lot of guys. And, and Trent is a strong kid. And But above all else, it's his effort level, which has impressed me. Uh, the kid just goes hard out there. As far as his future with the team, I have to think Portland views him as a big part of their plans moving forward. Uh, he may even make C.J. McCollum expendable in terms of a trade. Like, if the team is looking to shake things up, maybe restructure their core, I think C.J. is the guy they should look to move. It just kind of makes the most sense. And with his recent play, uh, GT2 makes moving C.J. a lot more palatable. His rookie deal runs through next season, so he's obviously a huge bargain at $1.6 million but it'll be interesting to see what the market looks like for him in the 2021 offseason. I imagine there will be significant demand, but I also expect Portland to do what it takes to keep him around for a long time because he's a great teammate. Everyone seems to love him. Dame has really taken him under his wing. Um, so I, I see him as a long time blazer and I, I hope that's the case with him.
0: I would certainly hope so too. And your, your point about CJ is interesting as well that in, in the off chance if Portland would want to shake things up, maybe go after um, a, a different star wing or maybe like a star 3-4 kind of combo forward. I mean, CJ's got to be the one that's out at this point. I certainly wouldn't move Trent on the contract that he's on right now. Um, but but I loved everything you said about his defense. Uh, c- certainly, I-, I don't think I've seen a player yell after as many made shots and defensive <laughs> breakups as as Trent Jr. has. Um, mm-hmm. At least here in the bubble, the the guy is one of the best competitors we have in the game right now.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but he wasn't exactly known for his defense uh, coming out of Duke. Right. I mean, he was maybe considered average and, and I think he's really improved there. And something about improving as a defender really, really impresses me always with with these kids. And he's done that, and um and it's really it's earned him a big role. You know, I thought another guy that absolutely dominated at, at summer League was Anthony Simons, and I kind of expected him to have this uh rotational share you know that that Trent has received. you know of course, there are different players, they play different positions and do different things well, but I kind of expected Simons to be their sixth man this season and 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 Trent really leapfrogged him, and I mean it's pretty easy to see why because you know, the things that Simons does well, he's a creator. He needs the ball. Like Portland doesn't need that stuff. That's The stuff he was doing at Summer League, the stuff Trent was doing at Summer League. What Portland needs is what, exactly what Trent is doing now, just playing hard defense, knocking down three-pointers. And he's doing that as well as anybody. So he's he's earned this role, and uh, I'm, I'm glad he's there. And I think he's going to be a big part of this first-round series against LA.
0: Yeah, Simons is young. He's, he's a great prospect to kind of have in the fold for the future. I, I think Trent... Being able to come in, establish himself. You, you can tell he came, he came from, from a professional family, right? I mean, you can certainly mm-hmm. tell that out of the gate, his demeanor, the way he approaches the game, the way he interacts with all of his teammates, kind of like we've been glowing about him a little bit. I mean, you, you could tell that he was going to come in, he'd be able to do his job. And it, it's funny you say that about his defense. Coming out of college, all he was known really for being able to do was shoot the basketball, and that's it. I don't even think a lot of people really saw a lot of what he's done in terms of being able to move off the ball and getting himself into fantastic open looks um, as far as just those one dro- quick one-dribble pull-ups inside the arc. I don't think a lot of people really even saw that being a part of his game, certainly at least not within a few years of being in the league. So I really think he's blown expectations out of the water. Uh, if you would go back and look at some of that stuff, kind of what he did in high school, as far as being more of a complete scorer, you could see the package was there. All of the, the, the mental stuff, the character stuff, that was all there. So it's just another thing where you have a lot of these guys in college. They're not fully able to showcase all of their talents. But, I mean, even going back before the draft, I remember watching a really good interview from, from Wendell Carter Jr. And, and he talked about how Gary Trent was being so undervalued, should have absolutely been a lottery pick, because he could he even saw it in practice every single day. He's doing so many different things and 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 bringing different skill sets to the table that you're just not able to see in the college game. So um, Portland certainly did their homework. I mean, you and I both know Neil O'Shea is an incredible GM and basketball executive, so uh, I, I think they really do have a diamond in the rough. And, and Trent, and I agree, he, he's going to be there for, for a long time as one of Dame's running mates. And, yep. and, and coming back to Dame, um, I, I love, love, love watching Damian Lillard at his best, and I think he's one of the Most incredible case studies right now for young point guards coming into the league. I mean, here's a guy coming out of college known primarily for his scoring ability, which he's clearly shown he can do in bunches, but he's evolved as a playmaker in the league, is arguably one of the most dynamic pick and roll creators we have in the NBA. His leadership, demeanor, relentless style of play. He's someone willing to go the extra mile to set up his teammates, but he's not afraid to hit that big shot when it's necessary. So, what do you think has led to Dame's success the most? And if you were having a conversation with the average fan or, or a young player similar to what you do in the Facebook group all the time, I mean, what would you want to educate them on about Dame Dollar the most?
2: Yeah, well, like you said, man, about his um, creation out of the pick and roll. First of all, I, I think he's uh, probably one of the five best pick and roll creators ever. Without a doubt. Like ever, maybe? Like, I don't know, but he's 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 phenomenal. And the thing is, he just keeps getting better at that and and at everything really. And that's the whole thing with him. Um, He's improved so much every season. And even now at age 30, he's better than he's ever been. Like you can look at his scoring, which at just about 30 points a game this season is by far a career best, but to some degree that can be explained by Portland being so shorthanded all season. Uh, But he also shot 46% from the field and just over 40% on threes, which were both career highs. So even with the increased volume, his efficiency continues to improve, which is remarkable. But beyond that, um, his decision-making has gotten so much better. Like He's in total control of the game when he's out there. And I think that's the biggest difference between now and even just a few seasons ago with Dame. His game has become so much more cerebral, whether it's the early reads he's making out of the pick and roll or the timing of his drop-off passes or the way he attacks the bodies of big-man defenders at the rim he doesn't force shots the way he used to. Overall, he's much more patient, much more paced. And when you couple that level of understanding with his explosiveness, his balance, his unparalleled shooting range, his extreme confidence, uh, his leadership, you know, you have what we've been witnessing in the bubble. Like offensively, I think, at least as much as any other player in the league right now, he's mastered the game. And defensively, he's improved more than he gets credit for, especially on the ball. So That's the thing with Lillard, just the general trend of improvement. And I think that goes back to his rookie season and to his college career and to high school and before that. And that's why he's where he's at now. That's why he's the bubble MVP.
0: And and I think a lot of that also stems from, I don't know if you saw uh, his recent podcast appearance on on JJ Redick's new show, Um, but uh, the biggest thing that he talked about was that he's always watching basketball and almost everything he does other than dropping some hot rap singles on his <laughs> down cloud from here in the bubble i mean everything else is coming back to basketball at all times even he even talked about when when he's playing video games what, what's he playing he's not playing call of duty he's playing 2k and he's just always learning and getting better and i think that's probably the, the biggest thing you can take away when you watch him i i i think you'd agree i don't know where your opinion is about his handle i wouldn't i wouldn't rate his handle as like one of the top five, top seven handles um, in the NBA. Maybe he's up there more in terms of his position, what he plays. But there are certainly better shot creators, guys who are, are a little more shifty with their handle. But how he just recognizes plays happening, like he's one of those guys that just sees things, sees things two, three plays ahead. He, he knows where he's comfortable. He knows how to pick and choose the spots. And he's just not afraid. And, and that thirst to want to get better combined with his knowledge and understanding of the game, it's truly impressive what he's done. And, and you met—you hit it right on the head. He is a maestro. That The game, when he's out there, everyone's playing at his pace. Everyone's matching his tempo. And he has all of his teammates believing in him that not only do they have a guy they know can take that big shot at the end of the game, but Dame's also going to empower his teammates and make them feel like they can hit those shots. Whether, whether it's a dump off to Nurkic in the post for, for a big toucher or, or CJ creating a big bucket like he did um, the other night against Memphis in the play-in game, whether it's Trent that we mentioned. I mean, Melo obviously has been there before, but, I mean, Melo speaks so glowingly about Dame that he's probably the best teammate he's ever mm-hmm. played with, he just said the other day. So I, I, I think all of those things, young point guards really need to take a look at everything Dame's done in his career in Portland. And think about how can I emulate not just his skill set and how good of a player he is, but what can I take away from how he approaches the game on a daily basis and how he truly cares about making everyone around him better and being a leader. That, that, that's special stuff.
2: It is. It is. Absolutely. And, um, you know, one, one thing about Dame is, uh, is he's not as tall as, as people might think. No, uh, you know he's he's always been listed at six three. I'm not sure if that might have gone down to six two when they sort of got a cracked down a little bit on the the height listings this season. But I've you know I've stood next to Dame. I've met him uh, in person a couple of times when I was living in Portland. And you know I'm just just under six three, and and was clearly taller than Lillard. I mean he's I would guess you know less than six one probably. So it, it's just it makes it that much more impressive when you see the stuff he's doing out there putting valanchunas on a poster, and um, I mean the guy's just amazing, and and he really does just keep getting better, and and a lot of guys don't, man. You know, a lot of really talented players just don't improve that much in the NBA. They get there and they're just good for a long time, but Damian has has really just improved, and that's just the thing I keep coming back to with him when I talk about him. And um, yeah, I, I mean I might be a little biased because he's one of my favorite players of all time, but you know I think I think if he had had a full a full roster all season if they had been completely healthy if they'd had, had nurk and and collins and everything and you know won the the equivalent of like 50 plus games i think he'd be probably third in the mvp voting like he'd be right there uh, he's he's just playing at such a high level so yeah i can't get enough of it <laughs> and i and I, I can't wait for this this uh, first round series
0: to start do you have him over steph curry that was a hot topic in the face i do video.
2: i do right now i do and heading into next season i do all all time absolutely not you know i think steph is is without a doubt a top three point guard of all time but um right now considering their age i think steph is about two and a half years older than dame and the fact that he missed an entire season um and just that dame keeps getting better and i think dame can do a lot of things that steph can't do right now i have dame ahead of him and like to me that's not hard to say just because just look at, look at what he's been doing lately. I mean, so I'm going by that. And the fact that Steph missed a season and I'm not sure, even when Steph played in uh, 2018, 19, I don't think he was at quite at the level that Dame has been at all season uh, this year. So yeah, I'm a Dame guy in that, in that debate.
0: Yes. Speaking of case studies, I mean, Steph is another one that, that you could certainly have any young point guard um, Want to emulate and look at coming into the league. I mean, he he's a whole podcast in and of himself. But well, hell yeah. Um, I, I don't know. It's going to be really interesting when the Warriors come back into the fold. How much Curry um, reintroduces himself to to that huge stage and and takes on Dame and the Blazers. But yeah, there there's no denying what what Dame has done. Um, we always come back to what have you done for me lately? And I I think Dame's been one of the most explosive point guards in the league for, for quite some time now. And, and as you keep mentioning the fact that he keeps getting better, that that's a scary thought. I mean, you, you'd think he's at his apex right now, but he probably still has two, three, four, like really, really, really good prime years under his belt. And then we'll kind of see how, how he starts to fade back a, a little bit as some of that athleticism creeps away from him. But I mean, we're talking about a guy with limitless range, just like Curry, those, those guys, even as they lose the, a little bit of their step, They're going to be incredibly effective for for years to come, just given what they can do, passing the ball, finding open teammates, and really being a threat, even moving off the ball. It's going to be really interesting to watch. Absolutely. So, kind of moving away from the Blazers a little bit, I I want to dive into some of what we've already seen today. Again, we're recording this on Monday, so we we already saw the Denver-Utah game today, Uh, brooklyn Fought really hard against Toronto, but at the end of the day, I think a lot of us knew the, the Raptors were going to slip away in that game and, and ultimately close that one down. And right now we, we got Philly and Boston at halftime. Boston's up by six points, 55 to 49 over the Sixers, and we'll get into that a little bit. Um, but I really want to go into Denver and Utah. Um, to, to me, this is a clash of two different styles, even though both teams obviously like to shoot the three when they have the chance. Utah is more of a traditional defensive minded group focusing on executing in the half court while Denver has more of an ability to play out and transition and impose their athleticism from time to time. Should they want to exercise it? I know by, by pace metrics in the league, they, they, they obviously play slower. They're down near the bottom, but because they want to run the majority of their sets through Jokic, but Denver isn't a slouch defensively by any means, but they want to drown you in shots, shots, and more shots. While, while Utah Cuts off the rim with Gobert, forces you to work methodically from the perimeter. So do, do you think Utah has enough firepower right now to make these games competitive from a scoring standpoint for more than just game one of the series from what we saw today, e- even though they, they have somewhat a defensive edge against the Nuggets?
2: Yeah, well, I think, yeah, with, with Bogdanovich injured and, and Conley out for at least the first couple games of this series, I think the lack of firepower is definitely the main issue for the Jazz. Um, I think if they want to have a chance against you know, a much deeper, more athletic, more talented Nuggets team, they're going to need Donovan Mitchell to play out of his mind. But then again, he scored 57 points today. He just, and they still lost.
0: Exactly. <laughs> so on, on,
2: yeah, on Monday he, today, yeah, yeah, he scored 57 and they still lost. So I'm not sure that they, they stand a chance. Um, I think, I think Utah's advantage is in their coaching, they're very well coached. Uh, I think I, lo- I love Mike Malone as a coach as well, but I just think sort of the X's and O's nature of Snyder's coaching profile gives them an advantage in that regard in a playoff series in terms of just making adjustments and um, game planning. But, you know, but I think Denver's got a huge advantage in terms of talent. And when you see like some of these, you know, the benches kind of going at it where Denver's got Monty Morris and Mason Plumley out there, and then Utah's got, you know, <laughs> George, point George...
0: back up point angles.
2: Oh man, uh, I love angles. I, lo- I we I wanted to. That was something I wanted to touch on. I mean, first of all, it's such a luxury to have a guy like that out there. If you are missing one of your primary creators, because like you know, Donovan Mitchell deferred a lot of the creation, a lot of the playmaking to Ingles, and he did a wonderful job on offense. But he got lit up by Jamal Murray toward the end there. I don't know what they were thinking with that one, but. <laughs> he-
0: He got, he, he got gassed. And, and quite frankly, I I don't think it's anything that that we wouldn't like about angles. I I think you and I both agree that he's a fantastic player for Utah in his own right, Mm -hmm. both on offense. And he certainly brings that big body, that bruising mentality on defense. But if he's got to play your backup point guard minutes, because you don't really trust Clarkson with the ball in his hands to, to really run and, and orchestrate that second unit. I mean, that's a problem when you got Denver who has Jamal Murray, out there for however many minutes he's playing, lighting it up with the first team. Then you got Monte Morris, who certainly started when Jamal Murray couldn't play, is absolutely a spot starter in his own right, probably could be a starter on another team. You have him coming off the bench to run your second unit. I mean, that, that's a depth luxury that Denver has that, that Utah doesn't have. And keep in mind that Denver still doesn't have Gary Harrison Bull Barton playing in the bubble right now. So they already go nine men deep that we saw today. We, we really didn't see Bull bowl, So even we're if in. you throw him in there, we're talking about 12 guys that Denver can throw out there versus what, what do we have on Utah? Really eight guys that yeah. Quinn Slater is ultimately going to trust in this series. So depth, the, you, you hit the nail right in the head. That's absolutely going to be the biggest factor in, in everything going on today. But even, even more than the depth, I think Utah is really going to miss not having that third star quality scorer we, we wouldn't think of Bogdanovich as the, the best and brightest star in the league, certainly by any means, but what he brings to the table in terms of overall scoring punch, I, I think they're really going to miss not having that third option. But even without Gary Harris and Will Barton, Denver has that third option, and they've had him, and they're probably going to have him for the foreseeable future in, in Michael Porter Jr. And I, I know you've talked about him a bunch even on some more of your recent podcasts but I think his story is an incredibly interesting one dating back to even when he was in high school. And I was actually just texting my, my old boss today uh, about him and, and kind of the case study we did on him and ultimately what he's become. I mean, I remember watching a high school game of his, I think during his junior year and coming away saying he's going to be the number one pick when he's eligible um, to come out in the draft because of his size and ability to shoot from deep, but also his fluidity being a wing a true wing at 6'10 size, with the kind of handle that he does, shot creation, he had star written all over him. Now, that was before he had some injury trouble with his back towards the end of his high school career, which ultimately followed him in the college in Missouri and then the beginning of his pro career here in Denver. But if you go back and watch some of that tape that I mentioned, pre and post injury, I mean, the differences are stark in terms of his movement and fluidity. He looks so rigid towards the end of his senior year. I thought he wasn't ever going to play a wing spot reliably again. And if you take that kind of valuation that he showed, um, pretty much being a stretch four who, who tried to force the action and shoot as many times as possible while not really having a home on, on defense. I mean, he certainly isn't strong enough to fully contest fives all the time, but if you take away that, that lateral quickness, that mobility factor that he has coupled with his size to be able to switch out and guard wings effectively, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know who you really have. That's like a Kyle Kuzma type role for him. And that's certainly not, something you're taking with the top pick in the draft um but that being said i mean he he went from being a wing prospect to that stretch four that i mentioned to coming back and being a full-time lights out shooting three for the nuggets and his story is absolutely remarkable so i had my concerns i I didn't have him rated that high when, when he was coming out of college but i mean what what do you really think about his ascent has any of it surprised you Given what we thought he could be versus what he's already become,
2: um in, in a way, I mean, I, I, I'm with you on yeah, I've thought the same thing when I saw him in high school, like number one pick, maybe the best high school wing prospect I've ever seen, you know, before any of the injuries, he was just unreal. And yeah, you made a good point because he he just looked freakishly athletic. the first time I ever heard of Michael Porter Jr. I was I think he was a freshman or a sophomore in high school. He dunked from the foul line in a game and I saw the clip online and this was like 2014 or something. And that was the first time I had ever even heard of him and so he had that kind of athleticism and then yeah, like you said, man, he um after after the the first injury, like he really did kind of stiffen up. He you know, he wasn't moving that well out there and I think where he's at now physically is kind of somewhere in between where he doesn't quite have that fluidity I don't think that he had you know, when he was 16, 17 or whatever. Um, But he's also improved a lot in that department. And, you know, a lot of people talk about the back injuries and everything, but I think the the bigger deal with him is is the drop foot that he's been dealing with. Uh, You know, if you look closely when he's playing, he's wearing a brace that holds his foot up because he can't lift his foot up fully on his own yet. Uh, And that stems from nerve damage uh, from his second back surgery. So he's, he, that drop foot came about sometime during what should have been his rookie season. And he's been wearing that brace for over a year now when he plays. And I look, I don't know how much he needs it. He doesn't wear it when he's just walking around. So it's probably not a severe case of drop foot, but you can see sometimes like today, even, uh, or Monday, I should say, since this is dropping Wednesday, uh, when, you know, in game one against the jazz, he went up for a couple alley-oops and you could just see, he wasn't comfortable with that sort of spontaneous jump like he's almost got to time his jumps more and he does that really well on the rebounds. And and that's another thing I wanted to mention with him. That's probably the thing that surprised me most with him is his ability as a rebounder. Like he's looked like he could average 10 rebounds per game. He just has great timing and just a great sense when he's on the court. And that sort of applies to everything with him, not just rebounding. Um, he just always knows where to be. He's got a great feel for spacing. And I think the combination of that with having a guy like Jokic really benefits him greatly. So I think he's in a really good spot in Denver playing alongside Jokic where his abilities can be maximized. Um, I would say, look, the thing that surprised me is I did. I think he was going to, you know, in his first couple starts come out and score 27 and 30 and 37 and 23. No, I mean, I don't think anybody did, but I, you know, if he's healthy, it doesn't surprise me that he's scoring a lot of points. I think he's basically a 20 point a game scorer from here on out, and then maybe more on top of that. So this is who he is, I think, you know, and uh, as long as he can stay healthy, and hopefully that that foot issue resolves itself, because I do think that's holding him back a little bit still. But I have high hopes for him as long as he can stay healthy. I I love the kid.
0: He's got to clean up the defense. We, we mm-hmm. know he's got to clean that up. I mean, he, he tries. He certainly gives effort. But, man, I mean, we even saw it today. I mean, you, you talked about Quinn Snyder being an absolute master uh, of drawing up about as many different back screening actions and, and backdoor cuts as, as we can possibly see in a game. And they, they really made Porter silly. They were attacking him at one point later in the game that Malone just had to pull him from the game. Because mm-hmm. He just couldn't trust him on defense, he, even, even though he's, he's a lights-out shooter and can certainly pile up the threes in his own right. But th- that's absolutely something that's going to have to be cleaned up. But I think he will. He, he, he's a good young kid with a bright future, and he, he changes things for the Nuggets, man. I, I didn't think they were really going to be a contender going forward, like a true, legitimate contender to some of those top teams that we could talk about in the West. But I think next year, if Porter's the real deal, they're going to bring back some of those other guards. You still have Murray, Jokic if If bull Bowl is real, we didn't even really talk about him. I mean, that that's a scary, scary, deep team with a bunch of young guys who are still going to get better. I mean, p j. Dozier, we didn't we didn't really talk about him. they They have so many interesting young guys that are that are only going to add to to what could be an incredibly bright future,
2: yeah. and I Grant is the uh, is the other one we should probably mention too. I, I like him a lot long term. I think Millsap's time in Denver is probably uh, going to be up this off uh, unless they can bring him back at a at a really cheap price, but I'm not sure. I think I think Grant is kind of their their four of the future, and he just makes them so much more athletic, so fun. They've just got such a cool balance to their team, and um, man, and and just with with Murray too. Like I don't know, did, did you notice he looks thicker out there? Um, and when I first saw him come back, I think it was that double OT game against the Jazz. Uh, earlier in the bubble i think that was his first game back and i was like all right he's he must just be out of shape and then when i was watching him today it's like it looks like he might have just got stronger and then on some of those step backs uh fadeaways tough three pointers deeper three pointers than he normally shoots it all looks effortless at least compared to before and i think that could be a product of increased uh strength so if that is what happened if he just got stronger and that's why he looks so much thicker that could really unlock something in him as a shooter because he's we've always known he's a great shooter but he hasn't been like a you know a prolific three-point shooter at least not to the degree that a lot of people expected but he sure looked like it today
0: now he 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 is strong he he, he certainly is developing into a brick house at that spot in his own right he absolutely packed on some pounds of muscle um, in the offseason coming into the bubble and he he's another guy man he is a fiery competitor he absolutely jawing at donovan mitchell jawing at everybody on the court when he was hitting some of those big shots and, and and good for him he absolutely should be talking with some of the 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 deep threes some of those pull-up jumpers that he hit late in stretches in that game contested non-contested he, he pretty much took whatever shot he could find at that point and and kudos to him he he really deserves it he's a hard worker uh, another great kid somebody who i had rated higher than some coming out of college i, I still to this day i don't know how buddy heel could have been taken over jamal murray in that draft but uh, again if, if that's if that's one of the star pillars that you have to lean on along with porter and Jokic, the the nuggets man they they are absolutely scary and and, and by the way apologies to paul milsap I, I i love paul milsap watching today's game Thank God he hit some big shots late in the game, especially that one dagger three that I can remember of his because he he looked pretty bad through, through about the first three quarters of that game. He just looked athletically unmatched. I don't yeah. know what your thoughts were about that, but maybe that's a good yep. reason to mention Grant.
2: Exactly. Yeah. I, I agree. I think, uh, I think Millsap's best days are, are well behind him and, you know, he could still have a, a nice role as a lower minutes guy, but, but Grant is, Grant is going to be their guy moving forward. And then with Murray and just to tie it back into MPJ, like they're just going to need to figure out that balance because, you know, until Murray came back, it was the MPJ and Jokic show. And, and, and Porter jr. Was just having, you know, get, getting all the shots he wants. And then you, you bring a, a confident kid like Murray back into the fold and, um, there's a lot less shots to to sort of go around. So um, that's gonna be the one thing they need to figure out. And like even today, and you made a great point about Porter's defense. That was probably the main reason why they pulled him, but also it was kind of turning into the Jamal Murray show out there. And if Porter's not gonna offer you much on offense, then you know what's the point of really having him out there? Um, you'd almost be better off with a defensive specialist, somebody like Tori Craig out there who can at least offer you something on that end if it's really just the two-man game with. Jokic and jamal which it which it turned into uh, on monday so uh, that that's something they'll have to figure out but i i have confidence that they will they they really haven't played a lot of minutes together those three so that'll come in time i think
0: tory craig hitting threes in the bubble he could be a a really sneaky good free agent candidate for somebody if the de- if uh, denver doesn't choose to retain him mm-hmm. after this season but um finishing out the western conference we have clippers mavs i think for the most part we know which team's going to win the series but Luca's worth talking about, and I think he's good enough to give the Mavs a puncher's chance in some of these games here. I mean, hot takes aside, he, he's special. He, he, he ki- it kills me every day that I had Aiton over him heading into that draft. I had Aiton one, and I had Luka two, which, all, all jokes aside, he's been incredibly undervalued, and I think there's a chance he could be um, an all-star next season. But uh, it, it's clear, Luca's the best guy that's coming out of that draft. He's going to be one of the best guys that's in the league, period over the next few years, and, and certainly even beyond that. He, he was everything that he was advertised to be overseas, and then some. I mean, how high is his ceiling, first of all, as a player? And how far can he carry this Mavs team? Not, not this year, because I think we can agree the Clippers are going to win pretty handily. Um, if, if Dallas even pushes them to six games, I think that'd be an incredible accomplishment, something to build off of. But um, I think it's fair to say that they could be in the Western Conference Finals next season should they continue to be smart with the pieces they have around him and Brzingis.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think their future is as bright as just about anybody in the league right now. I think they're right there with Denver in terms of teams in the West that could really take over in the next few seasons. And yeah, they, you know, they're not the deepest team, Dallas, but they have two great building blocks uh, who are very young. Porzingis just turned 25 and uh, Lucas, what, 21. So, and I mean, as far as his individual ceiling, like, look, it's an all-time great that's his ceiling is like a top 10 player of all time. Because if you look at his first two seasons, like I don't know if there's been five players in NBA history who've had a better first two seasons on an individual level than Luka. Uh, and not to mention the the team success they found this year with having, I think the most efficient offense in NBA history uh, based on like offensive rating. So they, you know, he's not only putting up numbers, but he's he's leading a really good team. And yeah, this year against the Clippers, I actually picked them to get swept by the Clippers. I could see them winning a game. Um, Probably no more than that. I think uh, that defense is just really going to key in on Luca. It's going to be a great test for him. You know, because if if Kawhi Leonard decides to sort of make that his mission, to shut down Luca or Paul George even, or the combination of the two, and then you can't forget about Pat Beverly. So he's going to be facing some dogs defensively. And they're smart. They know that if they can contain Luca or, you know, shut him down – to some degree uh, the Dallas doesn't have much left their whole machine sort of breaks down. If you take Luca even partially out of the equation. So man, if he can still do what he's been doing against that defense, then I mean, look, I don't know what else I can say about the kid. He's, he's special. He's on pace to be an all time great, but that would just take at least my perception of him to another level.
0: No, I, I absolutely agree with everything you just said. And, and, and yeah, the Clippers have all the defensive pieces in place to to pretty much limit what what the Mavs have done offensively this year. Although I I, I didn't pick them being like first in the league in, in in terms of overall scoring. I mean that's some special stuff that we've seen from from Luca and Porzingis and company. Especially given the fact that Porzingis really wasn't this this twenty five to thirty points per game score until um, late later in in the regular season and then here here in the bubble. I mean he he started out the beginning of the season on, on, on a slow curve but Luca really exploded out of the gate and he has not slowed down I don't think he's going to slow down I think he's going to do the same thing that he's done all season to to the Clippers but I, I think what the Clippers are going to do kind of as we were talking about here is they're going to take some of those other guys away like, like Dallas is, is so predicated on Luca having the ball in his hands um, doing some high pick and roll with Porzingis um and and then pretty much figuring out where the ball needs to go in terms of the open shooter in the corner um or spotting up on the wing from there so i, I think the clippers know how to play um, orchestrated team defense when they need to it's not all just individual and i think they're going to shut down some of those shooting opportunities and they're going to make luca beat them sometimes luca is going to beat them uh, other times the the clippers are going to be able to rely on a stop from beverly george or, or Kawhi to, to ultimately finish them out so like I said, if they get the six games, they push it that far. I mean, that's a huge accomplishment for them moving forward. But we we know what the Clippers are going to do. But I agree, Luca. Luca's ceiling is an all-time great. The the Larry Bird stuff isn't out of the question. I actually think it's a pretty accurate comparison for what we're seeing Luca do. I mean, yeah. I know Larry Bird was a bigger overall player, uh, more of a of a rebounder. Although Luca's certainly rebounding very well on both ends in his own right. But just in terms of being. That, that big guy on the court who not only has the vision to make everyone better around him, but can be a lights-out shooter when he needs to be, and that part of Luca's game is absolutely going to improve over the years here. He's only in his second year in the NBA. Um, I, I think that comparison is absolutely spot-on and fair. I, I don't think that's blasphemous one bit.
2: No, he's, he's right there in terms of his, his intelligence, his b-ball IQ. Like, that's, he, I said this on, on our podcast. Like He might be the most cerebral player that I've ever watched. Because, I mean, you know, he's not, like, the greatest shooter, right? Like, he's not the greatest ball handler. He's not the most athletic guy by any means. Like, but he's, but he's putting up these numbers that, like, we've never seen before. Like, LeBron numbers and then some. And he's doing it, so much of it, just based on his, his intelligence and his feel for the game. And I just, I don't know if I've ever seen another player get more out of their basketball IQ than Luca, and I mean, man, when he becomes a better shooter and improves in some other areas and gets stronger and gets more athletic, he's only going to get better. And yeah, people don't realize how big that dude is, but I mean, he's like a legit six eight, right, and two forty or whatever. I mean, he's a big dude. He's like he's like LeBron size almost, and um. So, yeah, he's a force to be reckoned with out there. But uh, And then with poor Zingas, man, like, yeah, he looked so rusty. Like you said, like the beginning of the season, he didn't really get going till January, February. But then you have to remember, he missed almost two calendar years. He was out for a really long time after that ACL. So, you know, it just took him a little while to get back in the swing of things. But now he's looking like the player that, you know, everybody thought he was going to become. And I think he still has a lot of room to improve, too. So I love their outlook going forward. And, you know, you know Mark Cuban's going to do what it takes. Um, to to build a, a championship caliber team around those guys, so yeah, Carl they're House they're the good in
0: the good hands. The, oh, he, absolutely! He does not get talked about enough. That that man is brilliant, and the fact that he has a brilliant point guard, essentially what you can mm. call Luca, running the show. I mean, yeah, they're, they're going to be competitive for years and, years and years and years and years to come. I guess the last thing I'll say about Luca and um, in, in the Larry Bird comparison is Luca has that flair to him. He certainly has that dog, and and he's gonna he's gonna stick that basket in your grill. Um, and he's going to give you that look, but then he's kind of just going to walk away. I guess we all heard the stories about Larry. I mean, Larry, Larry's going to dump the ball in your face. He's going to get that big basket on you. He's going to tell you about it. Then he's going to go tell your mom about it. So, I mean, he, he was a real (laughs) big trash talker and, and that was part of him. But I think Luca has that same kind of dog. And uh, I think a a lot of people are going to be hearing about it and, and, and from him for years to come. So. If we go out east, I, I know I was kind of going to get to um, Boston and Philly, especially because that game's going on. But I want to save that for for one of our last points here. I actually want to I want to go ahead to Miami and Indiana, um, and, and I know from from plenty of posts in the group, um, I, I know you're a huge Bam Bam at a Bio fan. We we need to talk about your your love affair with him a little bit. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I liked him more than the consensus coming out of college. Um, I had him as a top ten guy for sure because of what I saw him do back in high school and I even some Intel, I was even able to get on some workouts. I mean, what a guy can show in college. We already talked about this. It's sometimes limited just because of how the game is played. And and I don't blame some of those lost opportunities, even on a coach all the time, but he he completely changed the ceiling for for Miami because of how much of a facilitator he is having Jimmy who also likes to share the ball with a vast array of shooters that they have. I mean, they're a team that can't be taken lightly. And I think without having Sabonis, For Indiana to try and equalize the interior presence of BAM it's a nightmare matchup for him a team that can't match the same firepower from three that Miami employs so am I wrong to think that this series is likely over in five games or or should I believe the TJ Warren hype uh, a little more than we've seen in the bubble and, and believe that Indiana can push the series past that
2: I I'm saying five games on that one as well yeah I think it's a. Uh, I don't. I think it's a pretty uneven series for the reasons that you outlined. If Sabonis was there, it would be more competitive. But like Indiana can't really even capitalize on its greatest strength, or you know Miami's weakness. Really, like they don't. They don't. They don't shoot the ball well from the perimeter. They're one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league. And then without Sabonis, they can't really do much inside. Miles Turner is not exactly you know a guy that's gonna gonna post up and and be a threat from that spot. So yeah I I think my I think Miami's a really good team like um and look Bam is it's funny you mentioned that because I was gonna say that like Bam's a great example of one of those guys that you talked about that like dude I didn't see any of this stuff in college because I didn't know about him in high school I didn't pay attention to him my only impression of him was from college so I just thought he was kind of like this like this banger, you know, like a real like power player, good dunker, like rebounder. Uh I had no idea he could pass the ball like that. I had no idea he could handle the ball like that. Uh he's actually a better shooter than I realized. So I I completely I had no idea about him. I wasn't that high on him at all. He was just kind of like whatever, but then as soon as I saw him in the NBA game, it's um he's a very versatile player uh, to say the least. So uh, yeah, definitely one of my favorites um, as I've talked about a lot and um that whole team, man. Uh, him and Jimmy uh, the shooters they've got it all and I actually think I think they're probably the biggest threat to Milwaukee uh, based on matchups and I think that could be you know a really good second round series I, I think they might I think they could beat Milwaukee I'll just say it
0: they, they they certainly have the firepower to do so and we we already talked about Bam but Tyler Hero out of Kentucky he was another guy that not a lot of people thought that um, he he was going to be worthy of possibly a top five selection, but I, I had one of my friends tell me the other week um, that that he saw Gilbert Arenas, that he the Tyler Hero mm. could possibly be another coming of Gilbert Arenas, and I I, I it, it's it's funny you, you you hear that name and you think about what Arenas did during his prime years in, in Washington and how great of an overall offensive talent he was, but then you go watch Hero, especially some of the games he had towards the beginning of the season. In Ricky rookie year here and, and now even in the bubble and you look at what he can do not just in terms of shooting but also in terms of playmaking and passing the ball man he he has a bright future ahead of him and if he can bring that that level of game into a playoff series along with some of the other young guys that they have um, some of the, the veteran defensive talent like Iguodala and, and Crowder if they play up to their potential yeah they could be a real 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 problem for Milwaukee actually kind of
2: yeah, he um, he, he's really impressed me with the stuff he's been doing with the ball. Like, I didn't know he he's another guy. Yeah, I didn't know he had all that, but he he looks like a point guard when he's been running the point for them. Like when Nunn and Dragic were out and, and he was their point guard, he looked very comfortable, very capable. I see no reason why he can't be a full-time point guard in the future. I, I see no reason. I think he's just as well-equipped as a lot of guys that are just labeled point guards coming out like um let's take like jamal murray for instance you know i think hero's got just as just as many point guard skills as murray had coming out of college but it's just like he's got this two guard label and yeah murray's more of a combo guard but he's he's a point guard now and i uh, i think hero could become that kind of guard and i wouldn't be surprised to, to hear that they've been kind of grooming him for that role i think he's just as well suited for point guard as kendrick nunn you know, he, he can, he can handle the ball. He's, he can pass. He's got a great feel and obviously he can shoot the thing. So, and he's got, you know, he's a little undersized for a two, but he's got great size for a point guard. So I would like to see that be the direction he sort of goes, but yeah, man, like you said, he, he provides them with an extra punch for sure because he's, he looks a lot better than he did during the pre hiatus season. Uh, and I think he can kind of give them that little extra bit of scoring that, they might be missing with, with Bam and Jimmy being great players, but not big time scorers. So yeah, I think he, he could help them a lot just this season in the playoffs. And, uh, but anyway, back to, back to the Indy series, I'm with you, man. I'm I'm saying five on that one. I, I just don't think Indiana has enough.
0: I, I will say this about the, the whole hero thing before we, we we jump off those two teams that if he is a point guard and that's what he's going to be in the future and you can kind of move him off of one of those wing spots to, to where you can have hero and then the combination of, of Duncan Robinson and then Jimmy and then you can kind of add another guy into that 3-4 spot, a potential star player along with Bam, that, that, that lineup is a problem. That, that lineup would be an absolute problem and I think you and I might might have an inkling as to who they're going to target for that four man spot <laughs> in, in the near future here. Yeah. But if that happened, oh my goodness, I, I don't even want to think about it. I don't even want to think about it. Well, uh, he's
2: he's thinking that too, and they're pitching it to him. <laughs> him. He's thinking the same thing. Oh my goodness, oh, so <laughs> oh,
0: man. so the one one last series that that I really care about here because I'm not far from the Philadelphia area. You're you're a Boston guy. That's Sixers Celtics. I've watched far too much of this Philly team. But my fascination with them has reached dangerous levels throughout the year. Um, but they sicken me more often than not at this point, because I just think the preparation and attention to detail is lacking on so many occasions. And I, I think that assessment has reached a boiling point. In the first real game in the bubble they had against Indiana, I, I'd never been more frustrated watching a Sixers game in my life where they, they, they could have had a better defensive game plan coming in. You, you want to talk about who was going to be the top scorer on Indiana in that game? We we knew it was going to be T.J. Warren's Bonus isn't there. Brogdon wasn't playing that game. Oladipo is obviously not fully himself. He's not a number one option right now. T.J. Warren was going to take the most shots in that game. What happened? What, what did Brett come in and do? Brett had Tobias Harris on T.J. Warren for the majority of the first half, flat-footed, average-at-best defender Tobias Harris when he's got Ben Simmons, probably one of the best defensive players in the league period, sitting right there to body him up individually. He eventually moved Simmons onto TJ Warren later in the game when Warren was already about as hot as anybody could possibly be. His confidence was through the roof. And and, and I just think Tatum should have that same kind of a series because I don't see an individual defender that can really give him problems. For, for all that I love, Thibel, for all that everyone loves, Thibel, He's a space defender who wreaks havoc forcing turnovers off Aaron passes and, and, and heady blocks when he gets the chance. He's not quite that level of individual stopper just yet. Um, we, we already talked about Harris. He's a big body you can throw around, but do you really want him um, guarding wings and having to run everybody down all the time, taking away from what, what he does on offense in terms of draining his energy? Um, I, I think Shea can do more of a number than people think on, on Kemba as a defender but I mean Kemba's still going to get his and then the attention that uh, those two require I mean we're not even talking about Hayward or Brown so if you just compare the threes that they're going to get looks at versus the twos that Embiid's going to pour in on Boston all night long eventually those numbers will differentiate themselves in the scoring department Um, and realistically I think if Boston takes this series seriously I mean this should be over in five games which is pretty much against the public consensus which is uh, actually surprises me a lot given that everybody loves to complain about philly and and their lack of coaching and preparation and sometimes even lack of effort on either end of the floor so am i missing anything by saying it should be over in five games how do you see it playing out
2: no i agree with you on that one as well man um and yeah you know i'm i'm from massachusetts so the celtics are kind of like my other main team other than portland Uh, Maybe I'm a a little overconfident in them, but I'm, I'm, I agree with, with what you said, man. Uh, I, you know, yeah. Simmons would change everything, you know, having him out there defensively being able to cover anyone on the Celtics really one through five would have been huge, but now you're in a position where, you know, they opened the game game one with Al Horford guarding Jalen Brown. And Jalen Brown promptly drained two threes. I, I you know I just watched the first quarter of that game. So that's all I can really speak on. But uh, that was one of my first impressions was like, okay, this is a problem. And I don't really understand Brett Brown's insistence on starting Horford. Why can't Tobias Harris just start at the four? Like, because Embiid, you know, Embiid obviously went to work. He scored like 10 or 12 quick points. And then they pulled him and slid Horford to the five. But it's like, why can't they just, when they pull Embiid, just bring Horford in for him? Do it that way. So you don't have that mismatch of where Brown is out on the perimeter with, you know, Al Horford is, a, you know, has been a great defensive player for a long time, but he's obviously way too slow he's not to guard. The same guy.
0: He, no, he, no, he's, he's, not,
2: the same he's guy. not. He's not. He's not. And, you know, he, he's probably still very capable uh, defending on the interior, but, you know, <laughs> it's a joke to have him on the perimeter. So I, I think that's the last we'll see of that starting lineup. And then, yeah, the Tatum thing is, is a problem, man. That would have been Ben Simmons would have been there they're Tatum stopper. And now it's, I think they started Josh Richardson on him. Uh, and, and yeah, maybe you'll see some Harris, maybe you'll see some, yeah, I, I don't I don't know, man. Um, that's that's going to be tough. I just think, you know, long story short, Boston just has too many good wings. Um, I, I'm not sure, you know, I don't think Philly has enough capable defenders. Or if they do, if you have to play guys like Diable out there, Maybe then you can't really take advantage of Embiid's gravity because you want to have shooters around Embiid, but then to do that, you know, you want to have, then you'd have to have Maz and Shake Milton out there, and it's like how many minutes can you play those guys together without getting killed on the other end? So it's just like this conundrum that they find themselves in, and 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 Simmons' presence would have alleviated a lot of that, especially defensively.
0: With, with Simmons, I think they could have absolutely won the series. I I, I don't mm-hmm. think they're, they're, there's little to no doubt in my mind that as long as they would come out give their effort on both ends, every single possession, limit the amount of mistakes they make because they, they sure like to cough up the ball in stupid spots too. But I, I think without question, it'd be a lot more competitive series than, than what I ultimately see. And who knows, maybe a lot of the games are going to be competitive in their own right. And, and maybe that's not the best word to, to use. But I, I just think at the end of the day, what the record's going to show, I think Boston should take care of this handily and, and they're going to be a tough out for, for anybody given the firepower that we've detailed here. Um, I mean, last but certainly not least, there's Milwaukee and Toronto. I don't really think we have to discuss much in, in terms of those series. I think those are pretty much going to be cakewalks for, for both teams for the most part. They're both well-coached. They're both going to be well-prepared to come in and beat Orlando and Brooklyn. Um, I think Brooklyn has the chance to absolutely steal a game from, from Toronto if they aren't looking the right way. But Orlando especially, they are absolutely um, outmatched. So I think I see the East. Probably what what I've said to other people, I came into the bubble thinking that if there was a gun to my head, I would probably pick Toronto to come out, and I, I think I still feel that way. I think Milwaukee has the best player in the conference, Boston has the highest upside of the contenders, but Toronto is the most prepared team and the best balance of maturity and youth that there is in the playoffs. I mean, e- even watching them against Brooklyn today, I know that it's a first-round series, pump the brakes, Nate, come on. but. <laughs> Just some of the stuff that they do defensively as a team. they they just they know they they know the personnel they're going against. they They don't beat themselves. they they make the right play. They have trust in Nick Nurse's game plan. They have trust in each other to help and and execute the schemes that they're trying to to put out against the other team. I just think when you combine all of that with their talent, with their size in the front court, they they, they, they are a scary team. so how, how do you see? The, the East playing out in terms of a conference champion. And I guess we can go back to the West for, for that one too. I think ultimately I still have LeBron and the Lakers coming out of the West. I think it's going to be hard to pick against him and Anthony Davis, despite some of the problems that they have with the rest of the roster. I think those two are going to end up getting it done, but ha- who, who do you see coming into the finals here in the bubble? Man, it's
2: tough because I, I think I'm still going to pick Milwaukee. I do think they're going to have their hands full with Miami Steve would um, be proud. Yeah, I got to do it for Steve. No, I, I'm gonna have to still pick Milwaukee. I mean, they're they're such a strong team. But you made some great points about Toronto, and Toronto was like I I would definitely call them a contender. I think Milwaukee, Boston, and Toronto are all legitimate contenders. They really I really think so. And Toronto, yeah, their balance is probably unmatched in the league, except maybe by Boston, at least in the starting five. But I think if you're looking at say their top eight, uh, nobody beats Toronto in terms of in terms of balance. I think they had, I forget how many, four or five guys average over 15 points a game this year. Like just, just a really solid team throughout. And, you know, I think they're just as good as they were last season with Kawhi, maybe even a little better. I believe they had a better record in terms of win percentage. And I think the the Kawhi void has largely been filled by the improvement that Siakam has shown as a scorer uh, and to also Van Vliet in that department. And then with Anunobi, as a defender he can do a lot of the things that Kawhi was doing for them defensively so they've really filled that void and you know their depth and has a lot to do with that and obviously they're as well coached as anybody they were you know a top three or four defense throughout the season and they've been by far the best defense in the bubble and that appeared to have continued Today, I didn't watch that the game against Brooklyn, but it looks like they put a hurting on them. And I actually think that's going to be probably a sweep that series. I don't think Brooklyn even gets one from them. They're just like a well-oiled machine where they could be, you know, they they could they could kind of rest Lowry, you know, play him twenty something minutes, and same with you know a lot of the older older guys on the team, Gasol, Ibaka, and I think they could still uh, beat most teams just because they're they're almost becoming like a a system in the way that San Antonio has been a system for so long, where they're going to start just you know, plugging in guys and the guys that they find in the second round are undrafted players. They've got a few of them and just put them in the right spots and they're just going to keep succeeding. So they could, they could have like a little San Antonio thing kind of kicking off here uh, before. They're another
0: guys. team like Denver. You turn around. I mean, they, they've had 12 guys walk into the lineup at one point in the game. They're, they're, yeah. they're another team that's deep like Denver. So um, I, I, uh, yeah. I absolutely agree with that.
2: I wouldn't count them out. I got to pick Milwaukee, but I'm definitely not counting out toronto or boston those would be like my three and you know that's it's going to be it's going to be cool to see how it plays out
0: so what, what what about in the west did we hammer down a pick in the west who we think is going to be playing milwaukee clippers so we, we got bucks clippers in a final that that would be a fantastic finals i think either way you slice it no matter who's coming out of each conference I think we're about to see one of the greatest finals we've seen, certainly in, in recent memory, in terms of the amount of time that, that I've been watching basketball. Um, Kevin, do you have any thoughts about Toronto coming out of these uh, potentially?
1: I mean, you know how much I love Toronto.
0: I, I know you, I, you're, you're I always love talking K-Low. about the North.
1: Can I, uh, can I do my weekly hot take?
0: You can absolutely do your weekly hot take. We got Brett in the fold now, so I'm sure he'll love to hear it. You, right. guys are gonna, you
1: guys are not going to be a fan of this, but I think Dallas won the series.
0: Oh wow. I think I think
1: Luca's gonna beat quiet. I don't trust the Clippers and their teamwork and team chemistry. If they go behind like let's say they go behind two one, I could see the team like crumbling.
2: Oh I don't it's a legitimate. it's a legitimate concern, their their team chemistry. You know, because they haven't really all been healthy or playing together that much this season. And then even just recently, like in the bubble, they've had more absences than anybody between lou williams and patrick beverly and montrez harrell and landry shamit so they've had a lot of guys that they're sort of bringing in back into the fold last minute like these will be the first games harrell has played in the bubble so look man again i think the clippers are gonna are gonna kill him but at the same time you bring up a very legitimate concern in terms of their chemistry and if they do get behind it really could go to shit i could see that
1: i i just i I just worry for the clippers just because i don't know paul george kind of shrinks sometimes I don't know. It, it may be me just like not liking Paul George
0: that much as a player, but I don't know. I, I could see it happening. If anybody was falling asleep towards the end of this podcast, I think Kevin just woke them all back up. With that hot <laughs> hey, that's my job. I got my Alonzo ball jersey on the way. I love it. Well, that pretty much wraps it up for this week's show. I, I thank you all for tuning in. Um Brett, I appreciate having you on as a guest, my friend. Uh, we're absolutely going to have to do this again. And, and for everyone who hasn't heard his podcast yet that he's on um, with a few of the other ringer NBA Facebook guys, um, Steve and Jacob, they do a fantastic job. I need to listen to your preview pod that you just did yesterday um, with, with, with Jacob, but where can everybody find pod Strickland? Where can everybody find you on social media?
2: Uh, Pod Strickland. So Rod Strickland with a P Um, and that is uh, we're on all the major platforms. You can find us on iTunes or Spotify or, Stitcher, I think pretty much anywhere at this point. But yeah, we really appreciate everybody who, who listens and subscribes. It, it really means a lot to us. Um, and and Nathan, thank you so much for having me on the pod today, man. This was a lot of fun. And, and I agree, we'll definitely have to do it again. Uh, maybe maybe you could come on our pod for some some pre-draft stuff at some point. And, and I'd be delighted to come back on on here anytime. So let me know. But that was a lot of fun, man. Thank you.
0: Oh, that, that, that's a given pre-draft. You you already know I'm going to be there. With, with uh, Scott, yeah, I know there
2: you're now. the guy, man.
0: But I will be back next week for another solo edition of the bot, uh, breaking down six through 10 on the 2020 draft deeper big board. Um, and also I want to make the announcement that this Thursday uh, on YouTube uh, draft deeper is going to be doing a live show. Kevin and I will be on for the draft lottery, giving our, our breakdowns our our thoughts and our predictions of what maybe a little bit of a mock draft could look like talking about some of the top prospects and where they could fall on that lottery. So, um, definitely tune in, check social media in terms of what time exactly we'll be going live on Thursday night, but um, I I wish everyone a great week until then and enjoy the playoffs.